It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Beyond Reason Radio. So are you all really surprised how the confirmation hearings have gone so far? It's been chaotic. There have been protests. There have been interruptions. There has been political rhetoric. There's been political grandstanding. So it's another day in 2018, pretty much. I, I can't I I can't watch them. I can't watch these hearings anymore, Rob. I can't do it. I just can't stand it's been one day. One day. I, I feel I'm very torn on this actually, Rob, because I feel like there's a part of me that thinks hearings like this should not be open to the public. That they should just be done privately because maybe that would get rid of some of this. But then I understand I don't want all the government stuff done in private and secret, because that's almost like shadow government kind of stuff so i don't know but i just get sick of the political grandstanding because of all these hearings not just for the supreme court all of them everything is politicized now supreme court you can't get even one guy in there (laughs) but it's i understand that and that's true but it's beyond that instead of asking questions so you have a nominee and you're there to ask the nominee questions you have senators on both sides really making speeches and starting protests, that's not what you're there for. It's a hearing to interview the nominee and ask him questions, but they don't do that. And it's not just in the Supreme Court hearings. It's in the It was in the Facebook hearing. Right. It doesn't matter what it is. it is. That's what is done now. And it drives me insane. It is well beyond reason. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I am your host, Michael Yaffe, the voice of reason in a world that is beyond reason. We are on here till 10 p.m. tonight, right here on News Radio 93.1 WFLA. We're moving from 102.5 to 93.1. Starting October 1st, 102.5 will no longer be there, but we will be on 93.1 FM. Of course, you can always catch us on 5. 40 a.m. And by the way, a lot of people listen to the podcast of this, so you can catch the Beyond Reason radio podcast anywhere that podcasts are available. And we have, and you heard his voice just a second ago, we have Rob producing tonight. How Ready are you, Ready to Rob? go. Good evening, Orlando. Indeed. Yes. Indeed. Orlando in the world. Mm. I, I have fans beyond Orlando. Oh, of course. You, you have like one or two. Well, you know? 
<laughs> You're special, Yappy. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I got one fan I'm, in Orlando. That's it. Yeah, I'm, sp- <laughs> I'm special. That's what some people <laughs> call me. Um, so we are going to get into the Kavanaugh hearings. Um, uh, Kavanaugh is being nominated for the Supreme Court to replace uh, Justice Kennedy. Uh, it's already gone crazy. It's already gone uh, political. A lot of that was predictable. predictable. We'll get into that in a sec. But I have to comment on John McCain's funeral over the weekend. I did not watch the whole thing. Uh, I saw most of the coverage after the fact. Most of the funeral, it seems like, was very good. It was long, from what I hear, but it was very good. On the show last week, I talked about how I believe uh, John McCain is obviously a war hero. I didn't agree with everything he did politically, but he's obviously a war hero in my book. And no matter what you think about him, he is a historical figure in American history. Because of his war hero, because he was a war hero, and because he was in the Senate for a lot of years. And whether you like him or not, he is an historical figure. So it's an historical moment. But... A lot of the funeral turned into an anti-Trump rally. It did. They took the opportunity because McCain really did not like Trump for good reason. I mean, Trump did not say some good things about McCain. McCain really didn't like Trump. Trump really did not like McCain. I thought Trump's uh, reaction to McCain's death, a lot of it was petty and vindictive. I don't like that. But there's something that a lot of people in Washington and in the media and in Hollywood and in New York City, there's something that a lot of those people, the elites, the political leaders, there's something that they just don't understand. They just don't get it when it comes to Trump. I've talked about this over and over again on this show, trying to bring the point across to them, but they just don't get it. Why Trump is there. Now, what I'm talking about is uh, during the funeral, there was a few speakers who took jabs at Trump. There was McCain's daughter, Meghan McCain, President Obama, and former President George W. Bush all spoke at McCain's funeral. And they took jabs at Trump. And I have a montage here of everything they said. And here it is. We gather here to mourn the passing of American greatness. The real thing not cheap rhetoric from men who will never come near the sacrifice he gave so willingly, nor the opportunistic appropriation of those who live lives of comfort and privilege while he suffered and served. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. So much of our politics, our public life, our public discourse can seem small and mean and petty, trafficking and bombast and insult, and phony controversies and manufactured outrage. It's a politics that pretends to be brave and tough, but in fact is born of fear. He was honorable, always recognizing that his opponents were still patriots and human beings. He loved freedom with the passion of a man who knew its absence. He respected the dignity inherent in every life, a dignity that does not stop at borders and cannot be erased by dictators. To the face of those in authority, John McCain would insist we are better than this. 
America is better than this. So there you have it. That was a lot of what happened at the funeral. And those comments that I played there got most of the coverage. So in one way, Trump wins again because it was supposed to be about McCain and McCain's legacy. But once again, it became about Trump. Everything in the news today is about this president. And if you think the president is a loser in that regard, not necessarily. There has been no one behind the microphone more than me who has decried the uncivility in politics today, who has been calling for a more civil politics. That being said, when I hear Obama and Bush and Meghan McCain start using an opportunity to once again, what Trump has said, like make America great again, it almost makes me want to support Trump more. It does make me want to support Trump more. And this is why what they don't understand, what the people in Washington don't understand and in the media and in Hollywood is that it's not about the person. A lot of Trump supporters understand that Trump is a flawed person. A lot of Trump supporters, a lot of people who voted for Trump are uncomfortable with some of his rhetoric, some of his tweets, some of his past. They understand the flaws, but that's not why they supported Trump. These people who don't like Trump are, again, you know, they think if they focus on all the negative aspects of the person that that's what's going to win the day. It's not. Because it wasn't about the person. It was about the idea of a Trump. What I mean by that is a couple of things. One, there are a lot of people in this country who felt that this country was headed in a very bad direction, in a very wrong direction. And they felt like the usual politicians, the usual media, the usual elites were not taking us in the right direction. And you had a man in Donald Trump, who is a flawed man, who at least was coming up and saying, we are going to make America great again. And that response, a lot of people responded to that because they really believed that this country needed to be made great again. They did. They felt like the usual politicians and the usual media and big business were all screwing them over. And because they felt screwed over by those usual people, they were willing to go to a very flawed person who at least was willing to fight for them. Every time I ask a Trump supporter why they support Trump, even in the worst of times, they tell me he is a fighter. He fights back and i understand it to a point even though i'm one who calls i don't like how he fights a lot of the time i get it because there's a lot of people who feel this country was headed in the wrong direction and they're like yeah trump's kind of a kind of a jerk yeah trump can be stupid sometimes yeah trump doesn't do the right thing sometimes but at least he fights for us and so when you hear the likes of obama and bush once again attacking the person You're just going to turn people off to you because they feel like you're the usual elite who are not taking this country in the right direction. And at least Trump is willing to change things. He is. There is an idea behind him. He was an outsider who was willing to fight. 
it's like it's like uh during the civil war with general grant and there were some people were saying you need to going to lincoln the civil war president republican president going to lincoln saying you need to get rid of this general you need to get rid of this general he has all these flaws and lincoln comes back and says yeah i know but i can't get rid of him because he fights because lincoln needed a general he was having problems with previous generals who weren't willing to take the offensive against the enemy and general grant was a flawed person but he fights so he had to keep them. That's how a lot, millions of Americans in this country feel today. That's how they feel. They feel like Trump is so flawed in so many ways, but at least he fights. And that's why he continues to get support. And that's what the media and Hollywood and these Washington elites, they just don't get. It was about an idea bigger than Trump. That being said... There's another thing that bothers me about all this, about all this criticism of Trump. They act like our political discourse and the state of our politics today, the divisiveness, the rhetoric, they act like Trump was the beginning of it all, that everything was just hunky-dory, we all got along, sunshine and lollipops, kumbaya, and then Trump came along and ruined everything. They act like Trump was created in a vacuum. And then this just all started with Trump. It's complete nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Trump is a reflection of us. Trump is a reflection of where we were headed. Trump is not the beginning of this. He has elevated it, yes. He has elevated the divisiveness. There's no doubt about it. But he, it didn't start with him. And to act like the Bushes and the, and the McCains and the Obamas were just didn't contribute to the divisiveness of this country is just, it's just not true. It just isn't true. And I'm going to play some examples of that in the, in the next segment. Because it's something we need to understand that this rhetoric, this where we are today in politics did not start with Trump. It's been building for a while. And people just seem they can't understand why do you like Trump? He's such a flawed person. It's not about the person. Hillary didn't learn that lesson. I remember during the during the election, I kept saying Hillary and them were focused on the person, and I said it's not going to work because it's not about him the person. They, everybody knows his flaws. I was talking to um some people over the weekend and last week when Trump was doing this thing where he wouldn't put the flag at half staff. And there were some people who were Republicans who voted for Trump, who told me they were very upset at Trump. They really were mad at Trump for being that petty because it seemed like he was putting his personal views over the country. There are a lot of Republicans who feel, who don't like a lot of what Trump does, who don't like some of the tweets, who don't like some of the rhetoric. There's a lot of Republicans out there who that feel that way, and they're getting tired of some of the controversy. But when you go up in front of a funeral and start bashing the guy you voted for, you're, it makes them want to support him again. What they don't understand, what Obama and others don't understand when they're doing that, is they are being divisive in themselves. They, they're acting like they're calling for a higher politics, but they're not. They're just contributing to the divide. Using a funeral like that to bash a president that millions of people support 
in a kind of vindictive way, is not going above politics. It's contributing to the divide. That's what drives me crazy. Yes, Trump is divisive, but we act like all these other people are not divisive. That was examples of them being divisive, in my opinion. And I'm going to play more examples of how, like, Obama was divisive. 407-916-5400. If you want to call, you can also text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. We're going to get talk more about the McCain funeral. We're going to talk about the Kavanaugh hearings. We're going to get into uh, Andrew Gillum, who is running for governor of Florida. He did some interviews over the weekend that were um, pretty interesting, to say the least. And we're going to talk about that. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. If you miss any of the show, you can download the Beyond Reason podcast on iTunes. The voice of reason in a world that is beyond reason is back now. Yes, welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Orlando Smart Talk Radio, Beyond Reason Radio, here on News Radio 93.1 WFLA. And of course, you can catch the podcast anywhere that podcasts are available. So I was giving my take on uh, the funeral of John McCain. And by the way, that was how John McCain wanted it. You know, John McCain apparently orchestrated that whole thing, planned meticulously that whole thing. And, you know, there's a part of me that likes that, you know, President Bush and President Obama can kind of sit together and get along now, even though they used to be bitter political rivals. I understand that. I, I trust me, I've been calling for civility in politics for a while, but I'm just trying to get you to look at the bigger picture and understand why people still support Trump and why when you do stuff like that, really it's counterproductive. Really, it just makes more people want to support Trump because they feel like, oh my gosh, if the elites don't like him this much, maybe there's a, maybe there's something that Trump is doing right. But the other part that really bothered me was they act like this all started with Trump. That politics is so divisive and it's because of people like Trump. It did not start with Trump. This has been building for a long time. On both sides, I remember what they used to say about President Bush. What a lot of these people used to say when George Bush was president. Remember the bumper sticker that was everywhere? Bush lied, people died. There was some extreme rhetoric against George W. Bush for the Iraq war and other things. The things they used to say about Dick Cheney. And that goes back even further than that. And then you have Obama. A lot on the right were very critical, very heated on Obama. And Obama didn't always pull his punches either. He knew how to punch back. He was a political fighter. In fact, here's a, here's a little montage of some things Obama said when he was campaigning and while he was president that shows that he fights too, just like Trump does here. But I don't want the folks who created the mess. I don't want the folks who created the mess to do a lot of talking. I want them just to get out of the way so we can clean up the mess. I need you to go out and talk to your friends and talk to your neighbors. I want you to talk to them whether they're independent or whether they are Republican. I want you to argue with them and get in their face. We talk to these folks because they potentially have the best answers, so I know who's asked to kick. If Latinos sit out the election, instead of saying we're going to punish 
our enemies, and we're going to reward our friends who stand with us on issues that are important to us. If they don't see that kind of upsurge in voting in this election, then I think it's going to be harder. And that's really just the tip of the iceberg. There was the bitter clingers comment. There was the time when he was talking about political debate, and he was saying, you really need to debate them, and if they, they bring a knife, you bring a gun kind of thing. And he was talking metaphorically, but he was willing he was willing to really go out and fight and fight. He wasn't always the big-time uniter. Politics does get really ugly at times. It can get really ugly at times, there's no doubt. And I'm not saying that Trump hasn't you know, brought this up a level. But what bothers me is we're acting like everything was hunky-dory. We were all sitting around a campfire. There was McCain. There was Obama. There was uh, whoever, Lindsey Graham and Chuck Schumer and Harry Reid. And they were all just, yeah, we're all happy. No, this has been building for a while. And people wanted change. And they knew Trump was a flawed person and a flawed candidate. But they believed that at least... He could change things. Let's take a call here. Let's go to Cosmo. Cosmo, you are on Beyond Reason Radio. How are you, my friend? Thank you, Mr. Yaffe. Hey, listen, um, one of my questions was, was the last time I called you, it's like the intensification of hatred towards Trump. Um, we mentioned, uh, like, back on Bud Henniger, or if anybody said anything bad about Obama— you were labeled a racist, you're an anarchist, you're against America, and you just had to shut up. Uh, the Republican Party has been very, you know, civil about this, but we're just going to let it ride. But nowadays, it's like the reverse. If you even exist and you even say, well, I didn't vote for Hillary, you're automatically attacked. I didn't hear death threats on the radio or people were like, I hate Trump. I hate, I hate, I hate. I, well, what are you really liking? What are you really for? And I want to hear your opinion, and I'll take my answer off there. Thank you, Mr. Well, uh, what what part? I, I don't. I didn't want you to go away, Cosmo. What sure. part? What specifically do you want my opinion on? There was a lot there. Is it that? Why is it even more heated? Or I mean, what specifically well, I, did you want me to react to? You you said a lot in that one comment. I know. I pretty much overwhelmed me. I apologize. Um, one of the things that set me off with this, and I wanted to call in, was uh, I went online at work to go get some information about some Greek phrases, and I went to Bing.com, or uh, the Microsoft network, yeah. and the top three news articles were, uh, this guy being on trial today is going to be cleared, a whistleblower, a hero, Trump intending impeachment, mm-hmm. um, all, accusa- exact, all accusations made false. Yeah. You know, and you hear from the Trump party saying this is fake news, but you hear like overwhelming stuff. I mean, so and you're saying on both sides, really, it sounds like. Uh, yes, I am an independent to be on the safe mm-hmm. side, but this is worse than the Nixon years. I remember when Nixon was being impeached just because of 18 minutes of tape. Right. Well, I yet... well, I guess I'm guess and this kind of goes to the overall point that I was saying from the beginning that Trump is a. In a lot of ways, Trump is a reaction. And what Trump says usually is a counterpunch in terms of, you know, when Trump called McCain, said he wasn't a war hero, which I disagreed with. He was reacting to something McCain said about Trump and his supporters. Same here. So there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of Trump 
does that I don't agree with, but well, I understand why people support him. It's because he fights back. And most of the things that Trump says and Trump does, he's fighting back. And I don't like the way he does it sometimes because I'm not one of these, you know, fight fire with fire people. But I understand it on, an, on a big scale level that that's why they like him because he fights back. And I think, you know, we've seen the rhetoric just heated up so much because they can't seem to, they're not used to that. The media, the left, they're not used to someone who's really willing to punch back like that. Sure. Mr. Yaffe, if Mr. or excuse me, President Trump won with like a, I don't know the exact odds, I apologize, 60 to 40% victory over the Democrats, then how comes it seems like the news is like 99% against, but you only hear 1% for when the statistics from the general accounting office, unemployment, military spending, it, it just seems yeah. to contradict what the, well. What well, the now, yeah, now is. you're, now you're getting into media bias, which is a whole nother subject, but I, but I appreciate your call. I definitely do. I mean, that's another reaction. You know, people hate a lot of what Fox news does, but Fox news was created in reaction to a liberal media bias. And they were willing to have the other side and fight back. That's how Trump is. And sometimes I don't like how Trump fights back, like I said before, but that's what he's doing. That's what he's about. It's bigger than the person. I know the left doesn't want to hear that. So many people don't understand when I say that. But I'm telling you, it's about the idea of him. And if you think you're just going to take him out by pointing out his little personal flaws, you're not. That's not what's going to take Trump out. So uh, speaking of... uh, the divisiveness in politics today. We're going to get on to the Supreme Court hearings. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh uh, was is in Senate hearings, was in Senate hearings today. He's the nominee for the Supreme Court. And things got, well, interesting. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. If you heart Beyond Reason Radio, listen to the Beyond Reason Radio podcast on iHeartRadio. Just download the iHeartRadio app and search Beyond Reason Radio. This is Orlando's Smart Talk Radio. Beyond Reason Radio continues now. You know, before I get to uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, I did want to wrap up the last topic and just, just say one more thing when it comes to Trump and it comes to the media and all that. And it's kind of a personal story of mine. You might wonder how I got into conservative talk radio. What attracted someone like me into conservative talk radio? I mean, it really started... In college is when I really got into it. And in college, I was a double major, religious studies and broadcast journalism. I always tell people that I should be the biggest atheist liberal on the planet because that's usually what happens when you go through those two programs. (laughs) That's what they try to lean you towards. But I remember at the time, a lot of, you know, a lot of my teachers and a lot of people I knew And a lot of the news coverage, it just seemed kind of anti-American in a lot of ways. Not always overtly, but I remember I started listening to like Glenn Beck. I actually found his TV show at first and then started listening to him on the radio at the time. He was on CNN at the time. And I remember being, it was refreshing to hear voices behind the microphone that were that loved their country that loved this country and that loved capitalism and were willing to fight for those things free markets individual liberty the constitution and americanism and american history 
And I remember how refreshing that felt because so much of the news and so much of what I was learning in school and so much of things, you know, and so in pop culture, Hollywood, my friends, it seemed the opposite direction. It seemed anti-Christian, anti-American, anti-family values, anti-constitution, whatever it is. And all of a sudden I find talk radio and I find voices that were fighting for the things I believed in. That we're fighting for love of country and love of capitalism and pointing out things that I inherently understood that we have the most prosperous country in the history of mankind because we have a great constitution and because of free markets, because of free market capitalism. And people try to convince you that those things are bad, but I inherently knew they were wrong. And that was one thing that attracted me. The conservative talk radio. I bring that up because, you know, when you talk about Trump and his personal flaws, I get it. But what is Trump not? Think of it that way. When you think of Trump, at least he's not anti-military. At least he's not anti, you know, American, American worker. At least he's not anti-Christian. At least he's not anti-family values at least he's not you know these things that we kind of hold dear he supports now when you look at him personally yes he has these flaws he was not the most christian guy in his personal life family values he did not exhibit that much in his personal life Uh, military he was not in the military but at least when he's speaking and he and his policies, for the most part, when he's talking about these things and pushing forward policies and ideas, he's pushing forward things that are pro-American, pro-military, pro-police, pro-American history, pro-family values. And that's why people support him, because it goes back to what I said before. Yeah, personally, he can be kind of a scumbag, but at least... He's not attacking the things I love. And at least he's fighting for the things I love in our government. And that's why people support him. And you go ahead and you attack the person and they don't care. They're not going to care. That's not what's going to take him out. 407-916-5400. A text to 23680. So we have the Kavanaugh hearings, the Supreme Court hearings. And, well, they got off to kind of an interesting start. It was kind of predictable. Uh, Chuck Grassley, was the chairman of the Judiciary Committee, was starting to start the hearings, and then he was interrupted by a few Democrats. Here is the audio of that. Good morning. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman. To serve as associate justice. Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized for a question States. before we proceed. Order, Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to be recognized to ask a question before we proceed. The committee received just last night, less than 15 hours ago, 42,000 pages of documents that we have not had an opportunity to review or read or analyze. You are out, you're out of order. I'll proceed. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman. I extend this a very warm welcome to Judge Kavanaugh. We have not been Kavanaugh given an opportunity to have a meaningful to his wife, hearing Ashley, on this nominee. Their two daughters, 
Mr. Chairman, I agree with my colleague, Senator Harris. Mr. Chairman, Judge we Kavanaugh's received 42,000 documents that we haven't been able else to review last today. night, and we believe this hearing should be postponed. I know this is an exciting day for all of you here, and you're rightly proud Mr. Chairman, of if, Judge, if we cannot be recognized, I move to adjourn. The American people Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. To directly from Judge Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. So what's happening here? We all know what's happening here. It's what I talked about at the beginning of the show. It's political grandstanding. The chairman of the committee just started the hearing. He's merely starting it, talking about the nominee and everything else, a traditional start of a hearing, and then he lets other people speak. That's how they usually go. He couldn't get five words in. And he was interrupted by uh, Kamala Harris and others. And they're complaining about documents and all that stuff. Let me tell, let me tell you about um, the documents here. I got this from the Wall Street Journal. The main charge is that Mr. Grassley is denying crucial documents to hide Judge Kavanaugh's record. The senators are ignoring the 307 opinions he has written and the 17,000 pages of material he provided in response to the committee's questionnaire, the most extensive ever demanded of a nominee. The senators have already received more than a half a million pages about his time as a lawyer and judge, more documents than were provided for the past five Supreme Court nominees combined. Not only that, but a lot of these things they were able to access in the Capitol, and the Democrats never took the opportunity to even go look at them. Because it was, it's not about going to look at the documents. It's not about transparency. He's one of the most transparent Supreme Court nominees in history. His record is out there for all to see because he's been a judge and a lawyer bef- and worked for administration before that for years and years and years. That's not what this is about. That would not change their mind either way. These Democrats have decided before he was even nominated, before this person was nominated, that they were not going to support him. So this is about political grandstanding because the base and you heard the applause there from people that were there will love it if this guy comes out and he says i'm gonna stop this guy from instituting i don't know whatever it's gonna be like the handmaid's tale they think or something because of one judge which is just ridiculous they continue on in uh the wall street journal says democrats have haven't found a killer issue in all of this So they're demanding documents from Judge Kavanaugh's time as a staff secretary in the Bush White House. The documents reveal little about Judge Kavanaugh's illegal thinking, since as staff secretary, his job was to vet and monitor what President Bush saw each day. It says most of these documents are privileged for a good reason. They represent high-level deliberations that require honest advice. When Democrat Pat Leahy ran the Judiciary Committee, He didn't even ask the Obama White House to provide documents from Elena Kagan's tenure at the Solicitor General's office, though they surely were relevant to her legal views. The the point is, in all this, is that the idea that the Republicans are stonewalling, that they're trying to hide something from one of the most transparent candidates in the history of Supreme Court nominations is just ridiculous. What they wanted to do was try to keep asking for different things, whether it was documents or whatever else, because they wanted to delay the hearings until after the midterms. It was a political ploy to get two things out of it. 
One of them was to try to delay the hearings as much as possible till after the midterms because they think they're going to win the midterms and the Democrats will retake control and then they will be able to, you know, cancel the confirmation. The other thing is it's all political. They know that they can run on this in November. So they're going to go out and they're going to, um, they're going to try to political grandstand. So they know it's not going to stop his nomination, but Hey, the voters will like it. The base will like it, but this is where we are in politics today. And this is why I'm so like conflicted on what we should do about these Senate hearings. I mean, like I said, this is a reflection of us. This is a reflection of where we are in politics. Instead of having serious deliberations about this, because this guy is inherently qualified. Lindsey Graham I should have grabbed the audio, but I didn't. But he actually spoke today at the hearings, and he was talking about how this is all just a game by the Democrats, that when he was a Republican and Obama nominated two justices, he voted for Obama's justices to be confirmed because they were inherently qualified. There is no denying the qualification of Brett Kavanaugh. There's no denying it. He's obviously inherently qualified for the job. And Graham made this point, and it's a point I'll make, that if you don't like the nomination, well, you have to win elections. You lost the election. That means Trump gets to pick the nomination. That being said, there could be some other things that we could do with the court, and I will have some more comments on this as well, and we'll get to that in the next segment. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. It would be beyond reason not to listen to Yaffe on your TuneIn Radio app. Download the app today and search Beyond Reason Radio. The conscience in your ear telling you the difference between right and wrong. Yaffe is back on the air. Yes, welcome back to the show. This is Orlando Smart Talk Radio, your voice of reason, your voice of truth in a world that is beyond reason. We are here till 10 p.m. here on News Radio 102. Oh, I almost did it wrong. I was going to dump you, too. (laughs) (laughs) News Radio 93.1. It's funny. I was even thinking 93.1, and I still almost said it wrong. Rolls off the tongue. Uh, News Radio 93.1 WFLA. We will no longer be on 102.5 at the end of the month, moving to 93.1. But we will still be on AM 540, which is our 50,000-watt signal. You can get us on there. You can get us on iHeartRadio. And a lot of you I know uh, watch us on Facebook. You can like the Beyond Reason Radio Facebook page. um, Or you listen to the podcast, which is available anywhere that podcasts are available. So we've been talking about uh, the Brett Kavanaugh hearings. And I I have to tell you that one of the most annoying things about all this is that the court matters so much to begin with. The court was really not supposed to be this important. What was supposed to be the most important branch of the federal government was the the legislative branch, Congress. They were the ones who were supposed to have all the power. And then you had the executive and then you had the judicial. I mean, they say co-equal branches, and I get that it was kind of supposed to be co-equal, but... When you look at politics today, there's no doubt that most of the focus is on the executive, on the presidency. And so there's so much power. And I've talked about that before. There's so much power at the top, at the presidency, which is why everyone goes nuts over presidents now. It's part of the reason you want to know why people went crazy under Obama and now people are going crazy under Trump. It's because the president has way too much power 
There's so much at stake now because the president can do so much, way too much. But the judicial branch was never supposed to be the focus, but it has for a couple of reasons. One, because Congress has given up a lot of their power to the president. So that means what they do is the president creates all of these bureaucracies that create all of these regulations and all of this stuff. And it's a lot of it is so vague and so open-ended that what happens is someone disagrees with something that's done and they go and they sue. So they sue and it goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And then the Supreme Court is basically deciding or writing laws in a lot of cases instead of actually interpreting the law. So a lot of people on the left are really upset by this nomination because they think Brett Kavanaugh is going to be the one who overturns Roe versus Wade, who's going to be the one that overturns the right to abort your child. Now, first, I have to say that is extremely exaggerated. I don't think that this would be the one you should be concerned about. Maybe the next one, because I don't think John Roberts, the chief justice right now, would ever vote to overturn it. I don't think he would. If he found a way to keep Obamacare, the law of the land, there's no doubt in my mind that he would find a way to keep abortion, the law of the land. There's no doubt in my mind. Justice Roberts is now the swing vote because Kennedy's leaving. So even if Kavanaugh would vote to overturn Roe v. Wade, doesn't matter. But the point is, Roe v. Wade should not have been the whole issue of abortion should never have been decided by one court case. Should never have been decided that way. It should have been decided really by the states, but also by Congress. So if Congress made a law or the states made a law, either allowing abortion or banning abortion, that should be up to them. It shouldn't be up to the court with one case to basically create a law saying abortion is banned everywhere there's nothing in the constitution that supports you being able to kill the baby inside your womb so when you're interpreting the constitution you can't look at the constitution and try to interpret it and say well the constitution gives you the right to kill the baby in your womb there's nothing in there that supports that so they had to find some extra legal way to get that done and they basically created a law when it's not the job of the judicial branch to create the laws it's up to the, the legislative branch of the country and of the states. And that's what would happen if they overturned Roe v. Wade. It would just go back to the states and a lot of these liberal states, which is why you'd have abortion anyway. So you would still have be able to get an abortion if you wanted to. So I am worried. And that's one when you're talking about the bigger picture of all this. That's one thing that I look at is that the court just has way too much power. And I don't really know how to prevent that from happening. I mean, that's what conservative presidents and that's what we try to the Federalist Society who vets a lot of these candidates and presents them to the president. What they're trying to do to combat that is put originalist judges who interpret the Constitution as it was originally intended. And they believe that's the way that you can get the judicial branch back to its original role. And that seems to be what's happening. And the left doesn't like that because the left doesn't want them to go back to the original role. They want the court to have all this power because they believe that's their way they can get a lot of these things passed. 
They can't get it passed in Congress. They can't get it passed in the states. But what they can do is they can tie it up in the courts, and then they can have the courts rule in their favor, and then it becomes the law of the land. One other thing, though, that I think should be, it's something that I've considered, and I think it's probably a good idea. And I've talked about this before as well. There's a book out by Mark Levin. He wrote it like a couple years ago. Talk show host Mark Levin. It's called The Liberty Amendments. Now, all these amendments weren't just his idea, but he's talking about a convention of the states and a convention of the states to add amendments to the Constitution. One amendment that he wants to add to the Constitution would be allow, one, would be term limits on the Supreme Court. I think there probably should be term limits on the Supreme Court. The idea that you have one per, and I get why they didn't have term limits, because they were trying to prevent the politicization of the court, but I think that road is that ship has sailed. It's already politicized. So if it's already politicized, maybe we should have term limits. So I think that's one that's one case. Because what happens is because there's not term limits, you have it where one nominee like this becomes so vital for the future of the country. For you know the next 30, 40 years, you have one person that they believe controls a lot of of what the country can do for the next 40 years. That's too much power, in my opinion, for one person. That's why I tend to lean in support of term limits for the Supreme Court. I've heard other arguments. Some of them are compelling. Maybe they can change my mind one day, but I believe that would be one reason to have term limits for the Supreme Court. The other thing is the judicial branch is supposed to be a co-equal branch. That means the judicial branch needs a check on its power. One way that you would have a check on its power would be allowing Congress with a supermajority, that would mean two-thirds of the Congress, not just a simple majority, but it would have to be over two-thirds of Congress, being able to overturn a judicial decision that they disagreed with. That would be a check. So if you have a radical, um, you have a radical Supreme Court that's basically legislating from the bench and they're they're saying things that shouldn't be passed, then you could have a Congress with a super majority in both houses of Congress be able to overturn a decision. That would be another way to check the power on the Supreme Court. That was another proposed amendment by Mark Levin and others in the Liberty Amendments to sort of tamp down the power of the Supreme Court because they feel like the Supreme Court has way too much power. And I'm always for limiting the power of the government, so I think... Those are good ideas. They're compelling arguments to me because what we have now, we already have the court politicized and split based on politics. So what happens is you have Kavanaugh, one person, and they believe this one person can change the face of this country for the next 40 years. Give that one person power. That bothers me. I don't like that. And you have nine justices. Nine justices can have that much power for decades. That bothers me. I feel like there should be a way to check that power. And I think term limits and being able to overturn decisions would be a way That's to a do good it. idea. I agree with that. Term limits on the Supreme Court. I don't know how you'd, you know, tally it up or maybe every other president, you know, something like that. But yeah, yeah I don't one. know. It would have to be years, probably. Yeah, years. I don't. I don't know how many years. I haven't decided because I believe in term limits for Congress as well. And some of the years, I think some of the details on that you can kind of debate back and forth. Sure. Maybe it's like ten years. And you had mentioned that 
the word abortion is not in the Constitution, and there's another word that's not in the Constitution, and that's the word woman. Woman's not mentioned once in the Constitution, so oh, okay. it might be outdated there. <laughs> Maybe we need <laughs> to rethink true. about everything we think about being a strict constitutional person. I know you are. Yeah. So, so what are you saying? What, what's your point there? Uh, there's no point. I just think that you know they're over. It's <laughs> uh-huh. overlooked. You can't. It's not the world we live in now. I well, mean, that's true. Women, well, there is woman is mentioned in the amendments. In the amendments, sure. So that works. So if you want to change something that's in the Constitution, there is a process to do that, and that's through the amendment process. So if they really wanted to change the Constitution to support abortion, then they should have passed an amendment to the Constitution to do that instead of going through the courts and having one court decide the law of the land. Uh, That's my opinion. All right. That was a fast hour. We have one more hour to go, a lot more to get to. I, I have to talk about this guy running for governor on the Democrat side, running for governor of Florida. I did some interviews over the weekend, and he's... He's um he's clever. I'll put it that way. He's pretty clever in how he speaks. He's going to be hard to beat. But I have to go through some of the stuff he said, which was just, well, beyond reason. This is Beyond Reason Radio. One more hour to go. We will be right back. Beyond Reason Radio. Yes, 9 p.m. here on a Tuesday night, right here on, I'm going to say it right this time, Rob. I almost said it wrong once. Now, Bud didn't say it wrong once this morning. He was he was good. Good. I was impressed. It's usually the second or like third day of a new thing that really is hard because then you kind of go back to your routine and it's a part of your routine, but we're on News Radio 93.1 yeah. WFLA, and we're on live till 10 p.m. tonight. Um, you can also catch the podcast after the show anywhere podcasts are available. We're on Facebook Live as well. You can like the Beyond Reason Radio Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Beyond Reason R. In the first hour, we talked a little bit about Megan McCain's comments and other people's comments at McCain's funeral. And then we also talked about why, what the media and what Washington doesn't understand. And I keep saying it over and over and over why millions of people in this country still support Trump. And it's a bigger reason. So if you missed the first hour, you're definitely going to want to go back and listen to that because I I thought it was profound. I thought it was insightful. I'm sure a lot of people out there on the left uh, would disagree with It was profound. Very profound. And educating. (laughs) Thank, Thank you, Rob. You're a good producer in there, <laughs> yeah. making me feel good. Feel good about it. Um, and we also talked about the Kavanaugh hearings, which uh, got to a heated start today, which is just the same old partisan politics. We all knew that uh, going into it. Obviously, he's qualified. Obviously, they don't care about documents. They could care less about how many documents they read. It's not going to change their mind. Um, so we talked about that in the first hour. Now what I have to get to in this hour, a lot of different stuff. But I have to get into it because I broadcast out of Florida, out of Orlando, Florida. But it's just really a nationwide issue because there is no doubt that the Florida governor's race or the gubernatorial race, as you're supposed to say it, it's the gubernatorial race uh, for Florida governor. Um, So, yes, the Florida governor's race has gotten national attention because you had two people that were originally not expected to win win. 
You had Ron DeSantis on the Republican side who was campaigning as the pro-Trump guy, and he won by a major victory being the pro-Trump guy. The Trump is still very, very popular in the Republican Party, There's no, and especially in Florida. There's no doubt about that. Ron DeSantis knew that, and he won based on that. Adam Putnam tried to be the Florida guy. It didn't work. And then you have Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum was not expected to win at all. He was like fourth in most of the polls. He's the mayor of Tallahassee. He's definitely probably the farthest left of any of the candidates. He was supported by Bernie Sanders, got money from George Soros. Um, and he believes in a lot of Bernie Sanders-like policies. That being said, he's very smart. He's very compelling speaker. He's very good on the campaign trail, and he's very good in debates. And that's a big reason why he won, and that's why he's going to be hard to beat. In fact, there's a poll out today um, from, from, let's see, from Quinnipiac that has the Florida governor's race neck and neck. Right now, it has Gillum up on DeSantis 50 to 47%. The margin of error is minus 4.3, so they're within the margin of error. 50 to 47%. This is a tight race. A lot of it's because, I mean, there's no doubt that a lot of people would want to support Gillum because he would be the first black governor of the state of Florida, and a lot of people like the idea of that. But he's a compelling candidate. He really is. And DeSantis is also very good. So things already got heated. And Andrew Gillum, he's trying to get more attention for himself. He's obviously getting national attention because he's another far leftist who is able to get a major nomination. And the media is fascinated by this. So he's getting all the interviews on Meet the Press and everything else. And over the weekend, he was interviewed on Meet the Press, but he was also interviewed on CNN's State of the Union. Now, Dana Bash was filling in for Jake Tapper. And by the way, I thought she did a pretty good job. I almost liked her better than Jake Tapper. She's not as um, partisan as Jake Tapper. It doesn't seem that way. I mean, I know she's pretty liberal, but it didn't seem that way over the weekend. But Andrew Gillum was interviewed by Dana Bash. And I have to tell you, Gillum is clever, but he is your typical Typical politician. Typical guy knows how to kind of spin the truth. It was really something else listening to this interview. It was like, oh, I see what he's trying to do there. Interesting. That's pretty clever. He's going to try. So um, let's listen to a little bit of the interview. The first thing he was asked was about apparently there was uh, some nationalist, white nationalist group in Florida who put out racist robocalls against Gillum. Um, obviously, Ron DeSantis denounced that as the Republican Party doesn't support that. And um, Gillum was asked about this, and here is the exchange. A white supremacist robocall came out in your state of Florida against your campaign. You, of course, are the first black nominee for governor in the state of Florida. How are you going to fend off against attacks of what really are not just racially uh, tinged, racist things like we're seeing there yeah. now. Yeah, well, first of all, I have to tell you, I do find it deeply regrettable. I mean, on the day right after uh, I secured the Democratic nomination, we had to deal with some of the dog whistles directly from my opponent. And I, and I, I honestly want to sincerely say this, Dana. Uh, we can have a, 
uh, a challenge between ideas and around what we think uh, uh, the people of, of the state of Florida deserve. Uh, what I don't want this race to turn into is a race of name calling. Um, I want to make sure that we don't racialize uh, and frankly weaponize race as a part of this process, which is why I've called on my opponent to really work to rise above some of these things. Um, uh, people are taking their cues from him, from his campaign and from Donald Trump. And we should. And we saw in Charlottesville that that can lead to real uh, frankly, dangerous outcomes. And I also want to make clear that your opponent, Ron DeSantis, has has condemned this robocall, which, again, we're not playing. It is beyond offensive. So did you did you hear what he did there? It was very clever. So he was asked about this racist robocall, and he comes out and he says, yes, and even my opponent has done, done some of the racist dog whistles the day after he won. So he basically called DeSantis a racist. And said, well, he's doing the same thing, dog whistling to the racist. And then right after that, after he basically calls his rhetoric racist, he says, but I don't want this campaign or this election to be about name calling. I want it to be about ideas and I want to rise above using race, weaponizing race in this election. You just did. <laughs> you, that's exactly what you just did. You just weaponized race by basically accusing DeSantis of being a racist. And then you said, oh, but I don't want to weaponize race in this election. You just did. <laughs> that, was, that was clever. I see what you did there, but that's what you did. You're the one who brought race into this. And when did they bring race into this? Well, let's go back. Ron DeSantis was talking about Gillum's victory. He was on Fox News the day after the election, and he said something, and everyone said... It was racist, but if you listen to it in context, it was obvious what he meant, but I'll play it again. Here it is. This is a guy who, although he's much too too liberal for Florida, I think he's got huge problems with how he's governed Tallahassee. Uh, you know, he is an articulate spokesman for those far left views, and he's a charismatic candidate. And, you know, I watched those Democrat debates. None of that was, was my cup of tea. But, I mean, he performed better than the other people there. So, so we've got to work hard to make sure that we continue Florida going in a good direction. Let's build off the success we've had on Governor Scott. The last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by trying to embrace a socialist agenda with huge tax increases and bankrupting the state. That is not going to work. That's not going to be good for Florida. So when you listen to that, anytime you use the word monkey in dealing with a black person, it's obviously construed as racist. And DeSantis should have been smarter than that. That being said, when you listen to the comments, one thing when he says monkey this up, he's using it as a verb. Lots of people use the expression all the time, monkey around or muck this up. And it was a combination of that. You can monkey up something. It's right. You look it up online. It's in the Urban Dictionary. It's all that. It's a verb that's commonly used an expression that's commonly used all the time to kind of mess things up. That's what it means. And there's no reason. DeSantis has no history of racism, no history of racism in his past, no history of racism in any of his elections. And it's obvious there what he was talking about in context when he said monkey this up. He was talking about Gillum's socialist policies. And any honest person realizes that. DeSantis would be dumb to, to, to come out and call him a monkey. That would hurt his campaign. It's obvious when you listen to it, he just thought of the first thing that came to his mind, an expression he's probably used millions of times before for millions of different reasons. Obama's used the same expression. 
and it came out and everyone said, well, he accused him as racist. And DeSantis said, no, I'm not a racist. He came out later. He said, this was obviously, I was talking about how the socialist policies of Gillum would mess up the state of Florida. When you listen to it in context, it's obviously what he was talking about. You just thought of the first, when you're doing interview after interview and you're like me behind the radio, you say expressions like that and it gets misconstrued. And I believe, I believe anyone who's really honest with themselves understand that that was being totally misconstrued. But Gillum knows that he can use that to his political advantage. And that's exactly what Gillum did there. He immediately came out and he said, oh, that was a racist dog whistle. He knew what he was doing. He's trying to be like Trump. He's trying to get the Trump racists all riled up. That's what Gillum is saying. And then Gillum right after that says, oh, but I don't want to weaponize race here. You're the one who did it. DeSantis didn't mention your race at all. He's talking about your socialist policies. He's the one talking about economic ideas. You're the one that brought race into this. 407-916-5400. You can text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. We're going to get into the next part of Gillum's interview where he talks about health care and Medicare for all. And it gets interesting. But I give Dana Bash credit. Um, she did not let it go. She kind of held him to it, and he finally got to somewhat of an honest answer Like later on. What am I talking about? We'll get to that next. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. Listen to the latest episodes of Beyond Reason. Download the podcast at Spreaker.com. The place where we talk faith, culture, and politics. Beyond Reason Radio continues. Yes, welcome back to the show, everyone. This is Beyond Reason Radio, Orlando's Smart Talk Radio. We are broadcasting live right now this Tuesday night from News Radio 93.1 WFLA. That's right, 102.5 will go away at the end of the month, um, but you can catch us on 93.1 FM and still on AM 540. You can also catch the podcast of this show anywhere podcasts are available. What you want to do is subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe on Podcast Addict, on iTunes, on Spreaker, on a bunch of different podcast outlets, or on YouTube. It's on YouTube as well. You can like the Beyond Reason Radio Facebook page or follow me on Twitter at Beyond Reason R. So we've been talking about uh, Andrew Gillum. You know, he broadcasts from Orlando. He's running for the governor of Florida. No doubt he's probably the most... Um, socialist liberal candidate to ever run for the state of Florida. There's no doubt about that to be nominated on the Democrat side for sure. And we talked about in the first segment, uh, the whole controversy with him, basically who's using race in this election. The race card has already been played. I guess it was predictable. That was going to happen. I didn't think it would happen so soon, but uh, we went into what some of his comments were on CNN state of the union and how, he was pretty clever. He's going to be tough to beat because he is a political fighter and he is a compelling speaker and he's a compelling candidate. And he's going to be backed by a lot of big money people. The George Soros is of the world. Bernie Sanders is going to back him. And there's a new poll out that shows he's beating DeSantis by three points already in the Quinnipiac University poll. So Andrew Gillum can win this race. I don't think he will. And I think most of the reason why he won't is because economic reasons. I don't think the state of Florida is going to be in 
for a lot of his economic policies. One of those economic policies has to do with health care. Dana Bash, who was filling in for Jake Tapper on CNN's State of the Union on Sunday, was interviewing Gillum and asked him about his support for things like Medicare for All. Gillum kind of tried to avoid some of the answer initially, but got around to it. And uh, here's some of the interview. Move on to health care. You mentioned that you support Medicare for All. Uh, a study earlier this summer from George Mason University estimates that Medicare for All, that plan, would cost the government $33 trillion, with a T, dollars over the next decade, which obviously would require a significant tax increase. Florida has, has a reputation, as you know, for being a tax-averse state. Are you ready to tell the people of Florida that they need to pay a lot more in taxes to fund your health care plan? Well, let me first say there was also a report, Dana, that showed that uh, should we move to cover more people through a Medicare for all system, we could actually save the system trillions uh, over an extended period of time. You okay, could, stop right there. Okay, so we've gone over that on the show before. First, the $33 trillion number. There were two different studies that actually came to that number. So it would cost the government, and this is the federal government, if it was done on a federal level, would cost the federal government under like Bernie Sanders' plan thirty-two over $32 trillion in the next 10 years. Now, Gillum is saying what Bernie Sanders and the usual Democrat line is that, well, that'll save us money. No, it's not going to save us money. Yes, that's less money than we spend in the private sector, but in the private sector, we have choices, and it's not the government spending all this money. You're going to pile it all into the government and then get rid of our choices, and then we'll pay through it for it through our taxes. So when you say it saves the system money, well, that depends. First off, what happens when everyone goes to a government system? But it's a little bit misleading because in the system we have now, it's a private system where people voluntarily choose which one they want in some kind of basis. In a government system, that would be taken away. So you're paying, you're going to be paying $32 trillion and you're going to be forced to pay it through higher taxes. There's no doubt about it. Um, now he continues on with the interview. In order to do that, you need to raise taxes. Fair? So what I, what I would say is, first of all, and I want to be clear about this, the state of Florida could not take this road by itself. Uh, we would need to do it as part of a federation of other states coming together. Think of uh, Florida, New York, California, but and sir, are, a few of the other larger states. But, sir, in order to do that, states. taxes would okay, have to be raised. Okay, stop right there. And he's trying to avoid the tax question, and he keeps trying to avoid it. There's no doubt he's trying to avoid it there, but um, because they would have to raise taxes. But this idea that we're going to do it through some kind of confederation of states where we have a Medicare for all system in certain states, I just find that hard to believe. That's not going to happen. If a Medicare for all system happens, it's going to be done at the federal level. I can't see how it would happen through a confederation of states. Maybe that's possible. But if you did it through a confederation of states, then it really would raise taxes on Floridians because the state would have to raise their taxes to pay for it. Where on the federal level, it would raise your, you know, your federal income tax, maybe, or your payroll tax or something. But specifically, if you did it through that kind of plan, you would have to raise taxes on the state level. And I guarantee you that if we went down that road, you would see a state income tax in this, in this state eventually. That would be what they propose to pay for it. I have no doubt about it in my mind. Maybe not right away, but eventually that's what they would want to do. And that would be devastating to the Florida economy.
Okay, he continues on here. Is that, is that yeah. fair? Do you agree with that? I, 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 I don't buy that. So let me How just say for How do you do that? Instance, How do you find that kind of money for the government without raising taxes? So first I'd say, one, Florida could not do it by itself. But secondly, we have the opportunity to expand uh, Medicaid for over 700,000 of the most medically needy people here in the state of Florida. My governor and legislature refused to do that. Do you know it costs us about $6 billion in money that should have come from the federal government to the state of Florida that we never received? And so I'm simply saying, and this is, this, I want to be clear, uh, Dana, this is very personal to me. I remember growing up as a kid having to wait for the mobile uh, dental clinic to come through the neighborhood in order to have okay, my teeth Okay, stop clean. right there. Yeah, I know. Now, what he's talking about there is an Obamacare provision. He wasn't asked about the Obamacare provision. Dana Bash asked him about the Medicare for All plan under Bernie Sanders that would cost $32 trillion and asked if that would raise taxes. When he's talking about the $6 billion in expanding Medicaid, that would if you go for a Medicare for All plan, you don't have Medicaid. You just have everyone under one giant government single-payer system. So it's kind of a deflection there. Are you for Obamacare or are you for Bernie Sanders' Medicare for All plan? And he kind of averts that question, but Dana does a pretty good job of keeping him on it and pressuring him on it, and he continues. Uh, the I biggest know you concern have experiences, for and, 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 sure. and you, you're coming from a, a, a real place, uh, a personal place, in, in supporting this, but as a government official, you have to make it work, and you have to make the Absolutely. numbers work. So I, I still don't understand how you would do it without raising taxes. So the first step we would take is expand Medicaid and pull down about $6 billion a year from the federal government. That's important. Uh, secondly, uh, as governor of the state of Florida, I would work to bring uh, a number of the largest states into a conversation around how it is together we might be able to negotiate prices and access to health care to cover more people uh, and ensure that even those who, uh, of us who are insured, who are right now uh, paying premium increases year over year over year, all because Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have worked uh, so let me just, to let me just uh, get make it access this to health care less affordable. Will you, yeah. will you say that you will not support raising taxes to make your health care plan work? I will absolutely not raise taxes on everyday working Floridians to uh, uh, give access to What about people. wealthier people? So what I said, uh, and I ran on this, by the way, is that we will increase taxes for, the, for corporations in our state who right now, uh, just so you're aware, only 3% there of companies in the state of Florida pay the corporate tax rate, 3%. And that 3% under the Donald Trump tax scam uh, got a windfall of $6.3 billion overnight due to the tax reform that took place in Washington, D.C. We're not asking for all of it. We simply said we believe that we ought to bring a billion of that money back into the state's government because being a cheap date state has not worked for the state of Florida. One more. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we've got to do that if we're going to be a leading state. One more. One so this is a typical Democrat line, and he finally got to it. He was afraid to say it in the beginning, but he finally got to it. One, of course you would have to raise taxes. Of course you would have to raise taxes. But this is all really, this is all kind of misleading because the Medicare for all thing that he was asked about that he supports it's not a state thing it's a federal thing so in terms of raising taxes he's talking about raising taxes on the state level oh i'm not going to raise taxes on individual floridians that that's just i guarantee you the democrats want a state income tax in this state they want it and that would raise taxes on everyday working floridians but what dana was asking about was the national program which you would have to raise taxes on and he's saying well i'm not going to raise state taxes but then he admits that he would raise 
state taxes in one area, and that's the corporate tax rate. What he did not say is what he would raise it to. So Florida state corporate tax stands at 5.5% today. Gillum has proposed in his campaign he wants to raise it to 7.75%. That represents a 40% rate hike. If that gets pushed, if I were to say in his campaign, I would keep pushing that that's what he wants to do because there are a lot of businessmen, small businessmen and big business in the state of Florida that do not want to see that. That would be devastating for this for this state economically. And while that might technically not raise it for everyday working Americans, it would raise the prices on their goods because that's what happens when you raise taxes on corporations. They pass it on to the consumer. It would also hurt a lot of job prospects as a lot of businesses that have been coming here because it's economically friendly, maybe would not come here in the past. It could hurt small businesses and all of that. So, and that goes back to conservative versus liberal economic policy and all of that. But he was trying to avoid the question there. Like I said, he's clever and he's compelling and he knows how to, you know, he knows how to, how to speak like a politician and get away with not answering these questions. But it was a little tricky. Now I do want to make one more point. When I was talking about Bernie Sanders, Medicare for all plan, and they said it'll cost $32 trillion, the government, $32 trillion over 10 years. What the Democrats and the left have been saying is that, well, that's cheaper than what the private system pays, what we pay overall in the private system over 10 years. So we would be saving money. I want to compare this to something. Imagine you look at the private system, say, for grocery stores. And you look at how much maybe the country spends on groceries with all the different grocery stores. Imagine if a politician came around and said, you know what? I want to make a single payer grocery system. I want to make a single payer grocery store for all. And the government will pay for it. And they, and then they say, well, that would cost $60 trillion over 10 years. I don't know how I'm totally just making up a number $60 trillion over 10 years, but they'll say that's less than what the, what we pay in the private sector. Do you really think that's better? Do you really think a government system like that, even if it was cheaper overall, would be better than the private system we have now when it comes to groceries? Uh, no. And that's really the point that has to be made is the private system when it comes to healthcare is going to be a lot better than a government system because the government system will want to save money and the way they will do it will be by rationing care. They will try to cut costs by rationing care. 407-916-5400, text to 23680. So I have to criticize Trump a little bit for something that he got into this week a couple of times. And it shows, unfortunately, it shows the hypocrisy of a lot of Republicans and conservatives in this country. So we'll straighten that out. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. Download the iHeartRadio app and catch the Beyond Reason Radio podcast. Your safe space for conservative thought, not for political correctness. Yaffe is back right now. So do we need a fairness doctrine 
for the internet? The reason why I'm asking that question, because unfortunately there are a lot of conservatives who say they're small government conservatives who believe that we need some kind of fairness doctrine for the internet, meaning we need the government to intervene in say what Google does or what Facebook does. And they think that's the solution because they believe Google and Facebook, which I do as well, they believe they are biased against conservatives. So we need the government to step in. A lot of this controversy started last week when President Trump tweeted this out in response to an article on PJ Media. This is what he said on Twitter. He said, Google search results for Trump news shows only viewing reporting of fake news media. In other words, they have it rigged for me and others so that almost all stories and news is bad. Fake CNN is prominent. Republican conservatives and fair media is shut out. Illegal? 90% of results on Trump news are from the national left-wing media. Very dangerous. Google and others are suppressing voices of conservatives and hiding information and news that is good. They're controlling what we can and cannot see. This is very serious situation will be addressed. And then later on, I believe that day, he was talking in the White House. He was asked questions about it, and he once again warned Google. This is what he said. Yeah, I think Google is uh, really taking advantage of a lot of people, and I think that's a very serious thing, and it's a very serious charge. <laughs> I think what Google and what others are doing, if you look at what's going on at Twitter, if you look at what's going on in Facebook, uh, they better be careful because you're, you can't do that to people. You can't do it. We have tremendous... We have literally thousands and thousands of complaints coming in, and you just can't do that. So I think that Google and Twitter and Facebook, they're really treading on very, very troubled territory, and they have to be careful. It's not fair to large portions of the population. This whole controversy was started by um, a writer on PJMedia.com, a conservative website. Her name's Paula Balliard. She, she wrote an article talking about how Google search results seem to be biased against conservatives. I tend to know this, notice this on a daily basis. When I search for a news story, the first thing that comes up is usually CNN. Then it's the New York Times or something else. If I want something from Fox News, for instance, I usually have to type Fox News at the end of my search to get it. I notice that personally. I know that's anecdotal evidence, but that's what that is. She had different evidence. Another outlet that I know is having trouble is Prager University. They tweeted out a couple of weeks ago that their Facebook reach has gone down significantly, even when they pay to boost it. And they've had trouble on YouTube, YouTube banning some of their videos. They actually have a lawsuit with Google over that. So I think there is some credibility to the idea of what Trump is saying, that these outlets are biased against conservatives. And I have no problem with Trump pointing that out or other writers pointing that out. What I do have a problem with though, is people Trump kind of suggested it. And other Trump supporters are suggesting that the government should get involved and maybe have some kind of government policy that would force these internet companies to be more fair, kind of like a fairness doctrine for the internet. Now, why they would want to go down that road is beyond me because we were against the fairness doctrine for talk radio for good reason. Why would we want to go give the government that much power on the Internet? 
What's really interesting about this is the person who wrote the article that Trump was responding to actually tweeted out this after that day. She said this. She said, for those who are asking, I'm not calling for government regulations to solve the problem of biased social media outlets. They're private companies and can run their companies however they want. Government almost always makes things worse. And I have to say, I agree with her completely. And this is what worries me. That there are too many conservatives, unfortunately, that it seems like when it's their guy in power, they're willing to give that guy, when he's control of government, a lot of power. Why would you want to give the government that much power to start regulating the internet, even if they are biased? The best thing we can do is point out the biases so Google and them can change it because they want to keep their customer base because they want they don't want to lose half the country. And there are other things to do without the government taking over. There have been some, mostly on the Democrat side, but Republicans who think we should make Facebook or Google public utilities where the government would basically control it. How in the world does anyone think that's a good idea? You want to ruin the internet, that would be the fastest way to do it. Ay ay ay. You know, there was an interesting piece in um, the National Review that talked about this, I thought, by Eric Peterson, that I thought was really good. It says, the internet doesn't need a fairness doctrine. It says, Republicans are calling for government action to correct bias online. It wasn't so long ago the GOP rejected such arguments. Of course, this is what I'm saying. There is so much hypocrisy in politics, definitely on the left, but there's hypocrisy on our side too. And I'm going to be the one, maybe I'm the only one, but I'll be the one pointing it out. He says, another day, another call for government intervention in free speech on the internet. President Trump recently took to Twitter to decry supposed censorship of conservatives. He suggested that Google and others were censoring conservative voices and bearing good news about him in search results. Furthermore, he warned that this is a very serious situation that will be addressed, perhaps with government action. And he talks about a little bit of the findings and all of this stuff. He says the supposed justification for regulating big tech companies comes from the market power they hold. Advocates of government intervention believe that consumers have no real alternatives to sites like Google and Facebook. And he points out that they do. You have Bing, you have Yahoo, which are alternatives. If you don't like Facebook, you have Snapchat, you have Twitter, you have Google+. Plus. says, it wasn't so long ago that Republicans were rightly rejecting these arguments when they were in support, when they were made in support of the Fairness Doctrine which would regulate broadcasters to offer a reasonable opportunity for the discussion of conflicting views on issues of public importance. In other words, if a radio station aired a conservative view, it would have to provide equal time for an opposing liberal view. This regulation started as an attempt to make sure both sides of a debate were heard on government-controlled airwaves, but soon after its passage, it became a tool to silence critics and political opponents. And he makes a point out that Republicans were right to be against that, and that Reagan was right to get rid of that. But now the right all of a sudden wants to use that same power to regulate the Internet. He ends and he says the freedom of choice, the freedom and choice the Internet provides have allowed for an explosion of different opinions and content available to people around the world. Empowering the government to provide balance is not only impractical, which it really is, but a mistake that could massively backfire likely against the very people pushing for it. I think it's exactly right. 
I understand the appeal of it because they're upset at the power of Google and Facebook and they're upset at their bias, but they, they don't have monopolies. They don't, they still have competition. They might have competitive advantage and they might be number one right now, but the idea of the government getting involved would just make it a lot worse. You want to ruin the internet. That's the fastest way to do it. They're on their way to doing that. What? Ruining the internet. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. But when I uh, Googled Trump news, uh, the first thing that came up was his Twitter feed. So oh, there you I, go. Yeah, I think Trump is upset because when you Google Trump or whatever, all the negative stuff comes up and he's not seen his speeches come up. He's not seen anything good come up about him. It's all negative. So that's his big point. It's not this that it you know, the conservative it's all about just Trump's personal oh, opinion so you think about it's himself. his personal opinion. Oh, of course. Well, I mean, I've heard his some speeches like... you have to dig for his speeches and he hates that. That's what he's most <laughs> proud of is his speeches to his base. Well, I've heard some good points though that they really do kind of shadow ban what they call a conservative uh voices in Google. But that's uh, that's because I don't think a lot of times they realize they're doing it. They they have their own biases. When you live, mm-hmm. say, in Silicon Valley you you're surrounded by people who think like you sure and most of the time the people that think like you are on the left there are very few conservatives Mm -hmm. and by the way there's some conservatives at google have been speaking out against this recently ever since this started they're obviously in the minority but that shows you something right there but when you have that many people uh supporting that kind of issue when you have they think that someone on the right is just so radical that no, nobody supports that. What we're doing is mainstream. What they don't realize is a lot of what they do, even though they think it's mainstream and right, a lot of the country disagrees with them. That was the Alex Jones. You pretty much hit that on the head there. So extremely, extremely out of society's norms that he has to be said. Well, yeah, Alex Jones is definitely extreme, but I'm talking about they would think, I think people at Google would think a lot of what I believe is radical and extreme because they're not used to hearing that where they are in Silicon Valley, in Google, because that's a pretty liberal place. So they would believe, for instance, I believe that, you know, a transgendered woman is biologically a man, that they are a man, no matter what they think in their head, they're a man. They would probably think that's radical, that's extreme, and possibly that should be put, you know, put to the side and not prominent in their searches or on social media. And they don't realize that a lot of country agrees with me, just not where they live. And I think that's probably where a lot of the bias comes from. That being said, Trump also tweeted out something today um, that worried me. He said this, and this has to do with TV now. He says, NBC fake news, which is under intense scrutiny over their killing the Harvey Weinstein story, is now fumbling around making excuses for their probably highly unethical conduct. I have long criticized NBC and their journalistic standards worse than even CNN. Look at their license, question mark. So he's threatening taking away an NBC license because of basically because they don't like him. And NBC handled that wrong. If you look through the the whole story and everything with Ronan Farrow oh, yeah, at I agree. NBC, he had the story. He didn't have the exact uh, people ready to come out. And open up that it, well, this is going to be the story. His sources, and it is. So he went to the New Yorker and he had all the sources there. I think the oh. story's legitimate. Oh, yeah. No, I and agree with that. the way NBC that. handled it was bad. Well, I agree. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. But what, I, what I'm what i really worried about is 
you don't threaten a TV's license over because they they don't like you. That's not what give. That's not why you give NBC. That's not how it works when you're giving NBC licenses. I just don't like the president of the United States making these threats to outlets based on based on their news or whatever. That's his thing. He's been doing that since day one with the fake <laughs> with the fake media and the press out to get well, him and, and CNN. And, is... and I don't mind him criticizing the media, but when he's now start talking about government involvement to control aspects of it. That's where I get worried. And that's where a lot of conservatives should say, hey, Trump, no, because once you start doing that as president, then you have the Democrat that gets in office and they don't like something maybe Fox News said. And they start saying, oh, pool, Fox News is licensed. That's not the kind of power you want to give. That's not the kind of power that you want to give a president on either side. And that's the problem we have in a lot of politics today. Because it's our guy, we're willing to get rid of our principles. That has to stop. We can't get in this group mentality. We have to keep to our ideas and principles. 407-916-5400. Text to 23680 where standard message and data rates apply. This is Beyond Reason Radio. I'm your host, Michael Yaffe. We'll be right back. If you like Beyond Reason Radio... Well, make sure to show it by liking the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Radio. Your voice of truth in a world of fake news. Beyond Reason Radio continues right now. So I just had a texter who texted into the show, and you can text to 23680, texted this. He said, because we were talking about in the last segment how Trump kind of threatened Google with government regulation and kind of threaten NBC with taking away their license and all that stuff and how that worries me because I don't like the government intervention in those kind of things. I think that would just make things worse. I don't like the precedent that that sets. He tweeted, the person tweeted and said, Trump is bluffing when he says these things. To be honest, I think you're probably right. I think Trump probably is bluffing. But to me, that still, I don't like Trump saying it. Because Trump might be saying it and then bluffing. But you have to remember that this stuff sets precedence. So now if you believe, if you create a narrative that the government has that much power to do those things, then all it takes is the next time when we have a Democrat president eventually and you just take that precedent further. And so maybe Trump was bluffing but maybe the next person is not bluffing. And we've already created a precedent that, well, it's okay to do those things. And that's the problem I have. That's why I'm a believer in limited government, in small government, no matter who is in power. Because I believe they often make things worse in these situations. And this is, and this is something that too many on my side, they're willing to give up that principle because they like, Trump. That's true conservatism, like what you just said. Yeah. Less government. Yes. And they and we're completely away from that. Conservative idealism is going away. It's and you know, yeah, it it really is in a lot of situations. You know, I've in the first hour I praise I I talked about why a lot of people support Trump and a lot of its cultural reasons and he's willing to fight. But one of the downfalls is we became so in support of him that sometimes we're willing to give up our principles because our team He's on our team. He's on our side and we're fighting against the other side. I'm all for fighting against the other side, but I want to do it the right way. 
with our principles, and that's what worries me. And you spoke so eloquently about how you found your passion in talk radio because it coincided with your religious values. Exactly. And now you're getting away from that. You're it's it's you know it's kind of being ripped apart. Your ideals of what your conservative and your religious values come together, they always kind of meshed, and now they're kind of getting ripped apart, and it's it's tough to it's tough to sew that back together. What do you mean by they're kind of ripped apart? Well, you said when you first got into talk radio, why you got in because it was talking about less government, talking yeah. about capitalism, how capitalism right. is good. Yes, which of course Trump loves that, but now, but it's... even Trump does things that are not, you know capitalistic in my opinion but they support it because it's trump and he's on our side and that yeah and you're right i got into it because of the values they were expressing not because well my team is winning and rah 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 my team i'm I'm not a follower (laughs) i don't just follow blindly groups yeah you're sticking by your guns your original true values yeah exactly and whether talk radio is here or gone or know who the president is whoever's in charge of the congress you're not going to change your ideals of what you truly believe with your religious values, which are highly, you know, right. above most people. I believe, you know, society's norms. Your your religious oh. values are higher than that. Well, I try. <laughs> I, I think most people are on the average in the middle, but you know, you stick by your guns, and you gotta you gotta trust that. Yeah. So I wanted to make a, this is like not political at all. This next point, but I wanted I wanted to throw this out there because it's something I've been talking about for a while, and the show with this a little bit on a lighter note. So I hear all the time from people that retail is dead, that brick and mortar stores are dying, and that because of things like places like Amazon, we're all going to get stuff on the internet. And why would you want to do anything in retail? Well, what's really interesting, and I've always said this is not true. Retail is not dying. It's changing. It's transforming a bit and changing into something new, but your brick and mortar stores are not going to just go away. It's just they have to figure out how they're going to change. Well, it turns out that this year, Target and Walmart, their stores are busier than ever. They're seeing almost record sales this year. Not online. They are seeing record sales online. But they're also seeing an uptick in sales in their stores. The stores that are really doing well right now are Walmart, Target, and Home Depot is actually doing really well right now. Now, why are they doing well? They're, they're not only doing well online, but they're doing well in their stores. Well, what they found out is because they made their online presence so good, Target, Walmart, and Home Depot all did this. What they did is you can buy online, but you can pick up in the store. So they had their brick, their brick and mortar stores in place already. And they can use that to their advantage. So what happens is people can buy it online and they pick up in the store. What happens next is while they're in the store picking up one item, they see other items in the store that they want to get. So they're buying other items. So their stores are busier now because of their online presence. I've heard all the time that retail is dying. And I said, it's not dying. It's transforming. Amazon would not be creating brick-and-mortar bookstores and brick-and-mortar convenience stores with Amazon Go if retail was dying. Amazon's getting into brick-and-mortar retail, not, not getting out of it. And I keep hearing all the time, oh, it's, uh, it's dying, it's dying. It's, it's not. It, it's not dying. It's just changing. It's just transforming. 
It's under it's it's meshing with internet. So people think brick and mortar is going to go away and it'll only be internet. No, it's a combination of the two, and it was finding the right combination. And the other thing that's helping the stores is the good economy. Consumer confidence is up and people want to spend more money and they're going shopping and they're spending more money. But Target, Walmart, and Home Depot and others are seeing their in-store sales rise at a time when I heard everybody telling me that retail was dying, that brick and mortar stores are going away, that we're going to have to do everything online. And I said, no, it's just changing. And they're trying to figure it out. It's, I know it's just a little thing. I love the curbside pickup. I yeah. have to get dressed. I just, you know... Basically, have my underwear on. Go yeah. Pick up my groceries at the store. They put it right in the thing and drive off. Oh, so you've actually used it? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, but I mean, but a lot of people like it because they, do. they don't necessarily want to uh, pick it up. They don't necessarily want it delivered to their house. They like the idea of also being able to pick it up. They like the options of being either or. And so they have the online presence, but the brick and mortar stores are still going to be influential in their business model. And so people are saying all the jobs are going to go away because brick and mortar is going away. And I think I think that was a little premature in people saying that. And there's the evidence seems to support my theory on that. Great show, Mike. All right. Thanks, Rob. I appreciate you coming in tonight. Always good to have Rob thanks. producing. Always good to have you listening as well here at 93.1 WFLA. If you miss any of the show, catch the podcast anywhere podcasts are available. Make sure to like the Facebook page or follow me on Twitter. And, well, I'll catch you guys next time.